No. <laughs> uh, I said people are going to start calling us the movie McMoversons. Hmm. <laughs> but um, it's always been about uh, accommodating the herd and the sanctuary. Yeah. Um, the tough one to publicly answer, to talk about, and I really haven't talked about it publicly, the reason we moved from Arkansas to Georgia, um, and I'm going to kind of just word this as gently as I can. Okay. There, there, I know there's abuse. There's animal abuse everywhere, and there are good people everywhere. We were in a little area of Arkansas near Oklahoma, uh, Texas, kind of a circle right there, and I will just be candid and say I felt like we were in the epicenter of animal abuse. Mm. And we were there over eight years. We made a lot of, we did a lot of good. Uh, the herd grew to the 70s. We were in the 70s at that time. Yeah. But every corner I drove around, every turn I made, I saw things that were so disturbing, more than I'd ever seen in, at that time, 15, 20 years of rescue work. And Melanie, was this, are you just referring to horses or are you referring to more broadly animal abuse than just horses alone? Animal, all animals, dogs, cats. Wow. Farm animals, horses. Yeah. I've never seen so many horses. Um, and I really don't want to get into a lot of upsetting or disturbing images. Sure, yeah. But it sounds like were, it was so upsetting and disturbing that you, you guys decided, hey, I, as much as we're doing good work here, we can't stay here. Well, we can do good work wherever we are. So right, yes. yeah. I, and that's exactly what I said to Jim. I said, I can't, I can't live here any longer. I can't. It's sucking the life out of me. Yeah, and I can only do so much. And um, I, and at that time, Jim said, "Well, all right, let's start looking again." <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say, the running the running theme so far of, of your story is that Jim is pretty much uh, amenable to, to anything that you <laughs> kind of suggest, which is, uh, I guess, another part of the success of this thing. Oh gosh, yeah, uh, it wouldn't proud spirit wouldn't be what it is if it wasn't for Jim. He is. And he's an enormous animal lover, and our intention then was to attempt to get to North Carolina again, yeah, which is where we've always wanted to live. Oh, I we see. Okay. Dating. Yeah. Um, when we were dating and newlyweds, we newlywed, I mean, we we used to um, vacation in North Carolina, and we just kept saying, "This is where we're going to live. This is where we're going to live." But after the horses started coming, we could never find what we we couldn't afford the amount of pasture we needed at that time. Yeah. And so, again, when we made the decision to leave Arkansas, we all started looking in North Carolina again, but the same thing happened. We couldn't find the land we needed, and we found a farm in Georgia, um, a little bit kind of in the middle of the state, but on the South Carolina line, yeah. pretty close to the Savannah River, and it was nearly 200 acres, and we knew we weren't going to stay there forever, but it was wonderful. We loved it. And we loved the town we were in. That was the hardest thing about making another move, yeah. which is a little further on in the story and how we ended up here. But um, it was really, really tough to leave the little town we were in. We loved it. We loved the people. And we were there for 10 years. Um, but anyways, when we left Arkansas, we did. We found that nearly 200 acres in a little town in Georgia. And as I said, we knew we weren't going to stay there forever, but it was perfect for what we needed at that time. Yeah. And uh, so we made that move and loved every minute there. And 
I don't know if you want to jump into what's happening now yet. Or sure. I mean, yeah, that that because it sounds like a goal which I didn't I hadn't realized until uh, you know three minutes ago was kind of always to get to North Carolina. So now you have just within the last few few weeks. So sure, if you want to talk about that, what fueled that, or what, the, or at least the timing of it, uh, that certainly. Well, should... a couple years ago, we spent several years trying to secure the legacy of Proud Spirit. We have always wanted to. It was always our hope to ensure that this truthfully unique facility would go on after we're gone. Um, but, you know, you can imagine it's a complicated goal, finding someone who believes what you believe and, and uh, that would carry on your legacy. Yeah. And we spent several years, we're getting, we're in our early 60s, we're still fit and healthy, thank goodness. But yeah. we also know that we can't do this forever and um, that we do need to think about the future and we need to think about the security of the herd and and that was our goal for finding, trying to find someone that would take this over. And we did do that in set for several years in while we were still at the facility in Georgia. And we just really couldn't find anyone that could take all this on. Yeah, um, that, that, we that's a... stay on the board of directors, and but let someone else take it over. And so at that time, when we realized that it would probably be pretty impossible to find someone who, who had shared the same philosophy as us and or could come up with the funding, we decided to stop taking in any more horses. Okay. And we were committed to the herd, who, the ones who are here. Mm-hmm. We are committed to them, but we are stepping away from active rescue work. Yeah. And as the herd naturally diminished, you know, through old age and, and the herd has become a little bit more manageable as far as the amount of land we need and the part also frankly part of the decision to go ahead and and make the move now was because of the real estate market which i think everyone knows is is going crazy yeah country property uh because so many people want to leave the cities with the sure pandemic and everything and and country property they're selling very very fast so we thought well we've got Fewer horses than we've had in 20 years. Um, we're getting older. We can't really find anyone to take this over. Let's pursue this one final move. Um, let's get to North Carolina, where we wanted to live for 30 years. Mm-hmm. And let's see. And the and let's not discount the real estate market right now. So we put the Georgia farm on the market. And we got an offer in 24 hours. <laughs> wow. Yeah, again, it's, so, it, it does seem bonkers, uh, no matter where you are or what, what the specifics are. Yeah. Yeah, and we didn't have a place to go. Right. Uh, we, hadn't, we thought it would take a, quite a while to sell. Sure. We just thought, well, we're so rural, and who's looking for 200 acres in the middle of nowhere, Georgia? Yeah, somebody, turns out. Somebody yeah. Does. Yeah. So I buckled down and found this place on 50 acres in North Carolina. Uh, we'd already been looking, but 50 acres was our goal, was our dream mm. amount of acreage. Yeah. It was kind of what the beginning was, the real active beginning was 50 acres we wanted to get back to that very manageable number yeah and we wanted to have mountain views and the this place and we wanted to be a little bit closer to town we've been living very rural for many 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 years you know a very long drive to get to even to a grocery store yeah and but we found this property we're 10 minutes from groceries and shopping and restaurants 
but we're very private with fabulous mountain views, um, and we jumped on it. That's great. Absolutely perfect. And how many horses are part of the herd uh, currently now? Well, we are actually down to, we are at an even 20. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. I think it was the last conversation we had on this show about five years ago that I alluded to in the in the uh, opening, where there was a certain amount of frustration or exasperation, I think, with the fundraising, which I think you were, as you noted just now, uh, you know, starting to feel exhausted about and weren't sure about continuing to, to rescue. And just the, you, you sounded like you were at a real crossroads. And, uh, yeah, and this- that conversation that we'd had back then it did stem from <clears throat> feeling like I went through a period of feeling like nothing has changed. Um, the big issues facing the equestrian community are still the exact same issues. Yeah. And I think the biggest one, I think the most damaging and detrimental to the horse community as a whole is a lack of commitment to elderly, unrideable horses. Mm -hmm. And that is, I think it's causing um, so many rescue organizations to start up and close back down because they quickly become overwhelmed. Uh, you hear about it constantly. Yeah. Uh, opening people with a dream like ours. Yeah. Um, but they quickly become overwhelmed, and they the biggest mistake, and it's the one thing I'm very proud that Jim and I have never done, which I mentioned earlier, is never taking on more than you can handle. Yeah, yeah, I think that does happen. I mean, having spoken to a lot of people with a lot of sanctuaries of one kind or another, not just, just horse sanctuaries, but, I mean, people with super great intentions, but they take on a lot and they become overwhelmed and exhausted and funding then is uh, an extra challenge. And pretty soon they're they're just toasted and they're just, yeah. they just can't carry on, really. And so... It, yes, it happens over and over and over. Yeah, for sure. So tell us a little bit about, because now that, I mean, it's, it's a great sort of... Uh, Time lapse, almost photography in the reverse, in, in a sense of, of kind of how you guys started and then expanded to 50 and then expanded considerably from there and, and still were at a pretty sizable one before you got to where you are now. So with 20 horses, talk about how those horses live and how they get along and, and does everyone get along of those 20? Oh, yes, they do. I'm standing at the window right now and they're all right here, right out the window. I wish everyone could see it. It's an absolutely beautiful sight. Um, you know, this herd gets along beautifully. You know, they're normal horses. They they have their, their bickering and their um, ear pinning, and you get out of my way, and I was here first. And yeah. You know, they're all standing, the majority, they're, st- they're all standing right here in front of me, and they're all three, four, five feet from each other, this whole little clump of horses. And they, and they all live... During the day, later in the night, whatever, they all live together. The, the 20 are pretty much not separated by any by anything, really, I guess. Correct. We have yeah. no... They are out 24-7. Yeah. Uh, unless they're injured or ill. Yeah. Uh, there is no cross-fencing. We don't have paddocks. We don't have some horses kept here, some horses kept there. They yeah. function as one herd. Yeah. They have access to the entire property. Um, um, and they are... they live a life of freedom they live a completely natural life of freedom yeah and it's interesting because some of them of course have come there because they were had one story or another you know you mentioned the one from the racetrack and others that were neglected or abused or whatever so you could sort of imagine at least that 
one or two or more maybe even of that 20 would just have a difficult time getting along just because they were were so uh, poorly treated or had such a rough go before they got there that it'd be, it wouldn't be hard to imagine them having difficulty getting along with the herd at large. But but does that is that usually just kind of, even if that's the case, maybe initially, does that just kind of dissipate quickly over time? Yeah, that's never been my experience that a yeah. horse doesn't know how to be a horse, yeah. um, no matter what they've been through. Yeah. Um, uh, now and then we may uh, take in one who is doesn't care too much about being mingling with the herd or interacting with the herd, and they sort of keep to themselves. Um, it does happen now and then. And you really don't know the reason why. We've taken in horses that have been horribly abused, horribly gruesome. That I won't even things I won't even repeat. And once their physical injuries are healed, they're absolutely you could not pick them out of the herd. They are part of the herd. They yeah. are. If anything else, the herd helps heal them. Yeah, no, that, that totally makes sense. And uh, so, uh, again, I want to let folks know this is Talking Animals. I'm Duncan Strauss. My guest is Melanie Sue Bowles, founder and director of Proud Spirit Horse Sanctuary. She and her husband, Jim, have been rescuing horses and providing them refuge for nearly 30 years. So we're in our final few minutes of our conversation here, but we invite you to join the conversation if you have a question or comment by calling 813-239-9663, emailing DJ at WMNF.org or texting 813-433-0885. So one of our emailers uh, wrote in that says, Thank you. This woman seems so kind and generous. I think humans could benefit from their generosity. So uh, very nice Thank comment. You. Nice. Yeah. Very nice. So basically, it uh, sounds like if I follow the whole 30-year uh, narrative, including up through and including a few weeks ago. So you guys did get back to North Carolina. The herd has become smaller and, and so therefore considerably more manageable than at some of its peak uh, sizes. So this mm-hmm. is kind of where you guys, well, you're still probably thinking, okay, at some point somebody has to look after these when we can't maybe or aren't going to be inclined to as, as much as we are now. But this is kind of basically you're sort of now more of like almost like a retirement situation in some ways. Yes? You could say that, yeah. Um, you know, we... We're still taking care of 20 horses, so there's no slowing down for us. And it's still, you know, the the property still needs all the maintenance that a bigger property needs, just a little bit less of it. But, sure. um, yes, we are stepping away from active rescue work. We are still a 501c3 nonprofit organization. We still need uh, contributions, and I still hope people buy my books. That's always helpful. Um, but as far as active rescue work, we have stepped away from that. Yeah. Um, but there are things that we uh, we stay involved in the uh, equine welfare in many ways still. Like um, I will get involved if my vet finds a stallion that needs to be gelded, but the owners don't have the money. We will step up and be involved in a uh, getting horses gelded. We don't. The world doesn't need that many more horses. So if we can get one a stud gelded and have them quit breeding, we'll be involved in that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, other uh, welfare uh, uh, steps that we will always be involved in and take. The only thing that's going to change is we are not going to add to this herd. Right. But which is a significant change for sure. And, uh, of course, and since the goal was always to get back to North Carolina, I mean, that seems like uh, that's kind of the perfect setting and, and a pretty ideal situation in terms of the herd for you guys. Yes, we feel very settled, and this is we feel like we're home. We yeah. do. 
Probably no more moves uh, that you can even imagine in, in the offing. Uh, relocating yet again. So let me let folks know too that the, the website is houses, uh, sorry, horses, geez, horses of proud org. So if you want to find out more about what we're talking about, uh, if you want to support uh, their efforts, uh, if you want to find out more about the books, which we, didn't, we touched on but didn't really get a chance to explore, but there's some great books that Melanie has written. And, um, and related to that, we didn't even get a chance to really talk about the dogs, which are no small part of the animal population there. But uh, but unfortunately, we have kind of just about reached the end of our time. So, Melanie, thank you so much for uh, joining us again on Talk Animals. It sounds like you guys are really in kind of as, as ideal of a setup as you could be. And, and again, we just, like some of our emailers and, and others have noted, just so appreciate all the great work and kindnesses you extended to these horses for uh, for 30-plus years and, and, and counting. So thank you again. Yes. Uh, Duncan, it's so good to hear you and chat with you for a moment. And thank you so much for having me on again. I'm so appreciative, truly. Absolutely. Okay. Take care and good luck. Thank you. Bye-bye. In a moment, I'll talk with Jonathan Carlucci from the audio fitness app called CardioCast about the new wrinkle he's created for CardioCast, a series of workouts for people to do with their four-legged best friends under the title Walk and Jog with Your Dog. More on that in a moment. Right now, though, we're going to step into the comedy corner with a piece kind of relevant, at least by title, by Martha Kelly, whom you may know from the FX series Baskets, but has long been a stand-up comic. The piece is called Horses Hate That We Ride Them. In today's comedy corner on Talking Animals on WMNF. Obviously, I love animals a lot, and um, I recently have become a vegetarian and also kind of an animal activist. Um, I'm not in PETA, but I have watched Blackfish a bunch of times, and uh, I bring it up at the drop of a hat. And if you haven't seen it, it's a documentary about this killer whale that was captured from the wild when he was a baby, and he's lived in captivity his whole life, and he's killed three people, and the last one was his trainer. And um, he's not the only killer whale in captivity that has attacked trainers. There's another one that killed a trainer, and then there's a bunch of them that have attacked and injured trainers. And SeaWorld has been around for over 50 years now. I just feel like it should be really obvious at this point that we need to stop encouraging these whales to pursue careers in show business because they are super unprofessional. And they should, oh, well. Thanks, guys. I was kind of nervous about taking a drink of water. I was afraid I was going to accidentally throw it in my face, but um, little, a little high energy. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, I also, one of my other radical ideas about animal rights is I don't think that we should ride horses anymore. I feel like they really hate it. Um, they have to hate it, because if they didn't, then how come we never see horses giving rides to other animals in the wild? <laughs> it seems like something they would do. It would be super cute. Um... That was Martha Kelly in today's Comedy Corner, the piece called Horses Hate that we ride them, taken from an appearance on Comedy Central. Now it's time to hear my conversation with Jonathan Carlucci from the audio fitness app called CardioCast about the new set of workouts he's created called Walk and Jog with Your Dog. This is Jonathan Carlucci on Talking Animals on WF. Good morning, Jonathan. 
Good morning, Duncan. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for joining us on Talking Animals. First, maybe you could just give us a sort of a brief overview of CardioCast itself. Yeah, absolutely. So CardioCast is an app that's available in the App Store or Google Play, and it's audio-guided workouts on demand. So we have cycling, elliptical, bodyweight boot camp, uh, walk and jog, running, all of that stuff, rowing as well. Okay. And we recently launched Walk and Jog with Your Dog. So you created those workouts, if I'm not mistaken, right? The Walk and Jog with Your Dog? I did, yeah. Yeah. So how do they go beyond what many of us would do on a run with our dog or just doing something that getting us kind of hopefully a little more fit and getting the dog. I mean, it's hard to imagine dogs doing planks or push-ups or whatever, crunches, but uh, but obviously they do do some things because you've got these workouts that, uh, that you guys are unveiling that are specifically for owner and dog to enjoy together. So well, what were the key ki- criteria in devising the canine-centric workouts? Exactly, yes. Well, we don't have planks or push-ups for the dogs, but that time when the humans are doing it is their time to sniff, mark, do whatever, take a breather. Um, For the difference between what we would do on a normal stroll or run or jog, this is all music-driven. So it's interval work that is driven by the music, driven by the beat. Uh, So everything from Motown remixes to classic rock to EDM, there's a playlist for everyone, but... It's, it always helps, I know, even myself as a coach, uh, having someone in my ear giving me direction and giving me a program to run to, or in this case, walk and jog to, Yeah, uh, always helps keep you moving and accountable and keeps you from, you know, slacking off or just pulling back and saying, good enough. And as the music, uh, Jonathan... Like in, just in your headphones or your AirPods or whatever the case may be, or is the dog actually hearing the music as well? It's designed to be played however you would like to. So normally people are wearing headphones, right? Um, if but you know if you're a person that carries a Bluetooth speaker with you when you're out and about, you can definitely put it uh, through that as okay. well. Okay, because of course I'd be curious to know what what music dogs seem to uh, be enjoying mostly on these workouts. But I guess the key thing is you you kind of tested some of these workouts that you did create uh, on your own dog Benji, right? Yes. And were there some that he seemed initially to really respond to? Which obviously I'm sure those are the ones that made it. But were there some that, much as you might have been surprised by it, he just didn't respond to at all? He actually was a bit surprised at first, but he got really into the whole thing. So all of the workouts kind of have the same through line of that interval work, uh, and the humans are definitely jamming out to the music, but it allows us to engage in a more meaningful way. I know I am often guilty of, you know, scrolling through my phone while we're on a walk and letting him sniff and do his thing. And here, phone is away, you're not looking at it, and you have to guide your four-legged friend on picking up speed and pulling back and not going too hard. So when he realized that we had to think up, he was very much more into his walk because he knew that we were doing something that we had to do together. So you were more engaged, obviously, like you said, your phone's kind of put away and you're just, when it comes time for something to happen with, with the dog, that's what happens. So I'm sure Benji sort of said, hey, uh, at first I uh, not so, wasn't sure what to make of this, but I kind of like this. Exactly, yeah. He's, he's definitely good to um, just stroll and sniff and stop and sniff. So keeping him moving was actually really good for his overall health. Yeah. Excuse me. 
he um he wears a fitness tracker and you know his step goal for the day he actually hit you know two thirds of it pretty much in just the one walk and jog in thirty minutes. Wow, cool. That's great. I'm, I'm sure he was posting some of his results on social media then. But, oh, yeah. Uh, he was posting his sweaty selfies. <laughs> I should hope so. So uh, so there's, I guess, am I right? There's three of these dog-related workouts so far on CardioCast? We're actually releasing them uh, pretty frequently. So we launched originally with three. And okay. And there are several more now. Okay. And we're actually about to have another coach join and teach these as well. Wow. Okay. So it's, it's really kind of taken off. So obviously people have really responded, uh, to the initial three and, and, and saying, Hey, we want more of these. So you've given them more. And now there's another coach kind of, uh, doing the same thing you've been doing. Exactly. Yeah. That's great. Cool. Well, so again, for people who want to check this out and maybe, uh, take their dog on a, on a workout that's, uh, devised by uh, Jonathan and maybe others. Again, it's, you can find the, uh, CardioCast app in the, in the app store or Google Play. And, um, Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us and filling us in on this cool new way to uh, exercise with your dog in a, in a way that uh, sounds like, uh, at least amongst your dog, is very popular. Yeah. Well, he doesn't really have a choice, but uh, he actually does really love it. So, yeah, yeah thank you so much for uh, speaking with me, Duncan. Absolutely. Okay, Jonathan, thanks so much. Take care. Give my, give my best to Benji. All right. I will. See you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I'm Duncan Strauss. You're listening to Talking Animals coming up on WNF. The music kicks back in with Scott Elliott from noon to 3 p.m. Three glorious hours of music followed by Sam Ball with another three hours of wonderful music. And we just keep the music coming as we roll into our block of Latin programming and beyond. Meanwhile, on the, this show, well, you know, we're going to hold that for another time because I do want to tell you that we've just about reached the end of today's edition of Talking Animals on WMNF Tampa. Next Wednesday, I'll speak with David Crawford, co-founder and executive director of Animal Help Now, a nonprofit that provides information and guidance on U.S. wildlife emergencies and conflicts. So when people find animals or there's some sort of, sort of conflict at the house or somewhere in the area, they, they can help guide you on that. So we'll find out all about that next Wednesday on Talking Animals. So all our information, all our archives of every show are all found at TalkingAnimals.net as our links to our social media pages. So uh, thanks so much for listening. That's all found at TalkingAnimals.net. I'm Duncan Strauss. Thanks very much. Be good, have a good week. Be kind to animals. Be kind to others. Be kind to yourself. Talking Animals on WMNF Tampa. NPR News headlines are next. And then Scott Elliott.